0: You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland.
1: Patience is not just a virtue, it is a strategy for life. You live between the two comings of Jesus Christ. This is your calling endurance, patience. No, it's not an easy path, but it is the logical path. It is based on the present evils of this world that cannot be changed through political action, feeding the poor, starting more hospitals and schools won't change that. They have their place, but they won't change that.
0: I've always been described as a patient person, but when the going gets tough, I'm not. Children needing to be fed, dishes piling up, laundry, smelling, all these things can be so frustrating. You know what's happened? I've forgotten to live like my savior is returning. James the Disciple talks about Jesus coming back to set things right, so I don't need to be angry with my daily tasks or try to get revenge on that person that cut me off. This is what Pastor Tom speaks about today. Dear ones, we must wait, diligently persevering. Now here's Pastor Tom in the book of James chapter 5 as he continues his message, The Second Coming of Christ Inspires Christian Endurance.
1: We're not here to fix society, we're here to demonstrate Christ-like character in the midst of society. We could do that no matter how bad things get. That's why we as a church and our philosophy of ministry are into ministry and into evangelism, not political action. There's no power in political action. There's nothing that affects eternity in political action. We have much more lasting and eternal power when we do the strategy that we have here. That is, endure and have patience and wait for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our strategy. That's the Christian strategy. That would be the strategy whether we were in a democracy or a kingdom, whether we were with the Nazis or whether we were with the communists. That's our strategy as believers. We are to be patient, notice, all the way. It says, until the coming of the Lord. When's that? I don't have a date for you today. Until is a temporal word. It tells us that you're going to wait, but you're not going to have to wait forever. You are going to have to wait, but it's going to go up to a point. And at that point in time, you won't have to wait any longer. You will have to wait all the way up until then, but when it comes, you won't have to wait any longer because then it all rolls. It all happens. It happens fast. And what is that? The coming of the Lord. Who's the Lord? Jesus. He's coming back to earth. And so patience has to last a long time. They didn't know how long it was going to be back then. This is the first century. James, this is this is probably the first half of the first century. But they're repeating the same thing in the second century, the third century. Now we're in the 21st century, same thing. We don't change from that. Many of us probably think that we're going to die before the Lord Jesus comes back. But the waiting of the church is still, the goal is still the second coming of the Lord and the resurrection that will happen at that time. Now, this coming of the Lord, this term that is used here, parousia, is a word that is commonly used for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And the interesting thing about this word is there are a number of words that are used for Jesus' coming, such as appearance, but this is the one that really stresses the actual presence of the Lord, that when he comes, he's coming and he's gonna have a personal presence among us. Some people like to translate it instead of presence or coming, they like to translate wait until the arrival of the Lord because that word arrival has the idea of, oh, he's gonna be right here with us and we're gonna be in his presence. That's the idea of this term. It emphasizes that Jesus himself, not in some representative way, not in some strange sign, he himself will be here among us. Exciting, huh? The the same term is used of Paul and his presence in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, when uh, the Corinthians, some of the Corinthians, were making fun of Paul, and they said, You know, Paul's letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive. That's the word, his presence there, his coming. Extra biblical Greek used this very term when a king would decide to visit some city or some province. He would arrive there and all of the citizens would get ready. The king is coming. So here's the royal personage and he's going to arrive. And when he arrived, all the citizens would be blessed by his presence and there'd be festivities and there'd be all of this type of stuff. That's the idea. Christ is coming. Our king is coming. Not in some vague way, but in his person. He will be seen by all. He will bless us with his presence. Jesus said it this way in the Olivet Discourse, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. And he goes on to the suddenness of it and the fact that they're not even recognizing that it's about to happen. That's how it is today. It's exactly like the days of Noah. No one expects Jesus to come back. Who talks about that? 2 Thessalonians 2 and 8, it says, Then that lawless one, the Antichrist, will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end, by what? By the appearance of his coming, his presence, his arrival. Same word. Christ is our royal personage. He's our politics. He's our government. And we wait for him. He's where our hope is. He is where things will be put right. He's our king. He's our ruler. He has a government that's on his shoulders, it says in the prophecies, and he's bringing it. When he comes, the greatest blessing of his arrival will be him, himself. He will be here. You see all the people get so excited about going out and seeing someone who's running for office or about seeing someone who's in some royal lineage, you know, visits America. And this is, you know, the nephew of the of the queen's aunt or something, I don't know. Jesus, the king of kings, is coming. Lest we forget what that second coming is going to be like, the Bible says it's going to be dramatic. Not at all, not at all like his first coming. His second coming will be definitive. There will be no effective opposition to him. There will be no polls. There'll be no voting. There'll be no political parties. He will arrive. He'll slay every non-Christian. And he'll take his throne and no one will stop him. Now is just the time where where the king is sending out ahead of times the terms of surrender to the rest of the world. Are you a Muslim? Surrender. Are you a Buddhist? Surrender. Are you an atheist? That's foolish. Surrender. Are you an agnostic? Are you a Hindu? Doesn't matter. All of you surrender your gods. Surrender your religions. Surrender your allegiances. The king is coming. You have time now. You won't then. He'll come suddenly. He'll slay you then. These are his terms. He wins. You surrender now or die. Eternal death. He is the winner. We get to herald that message of the king. We run out ahead of the king before he comes in his presence, and we proclaim the gospel, which is good news. There's a chance for you to be delivered from your sins. There's a chance for you to have pardon and forgiveness. It won't be then. It's now. We don't care if nobody likes it. It's what's going to happen. That's the message. We don't change it. He's coming. He rules. Matthew 25, 31, trying to describe that time, he said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him. Just stop there. The Son of Man comes in his glory. What's that like? I don't know. With all the angels with him, how's that going to extend the glory? I don't know. I can't picture it all. Then he will sit on his glorious throne, his glory all over the place. Got a throne that's glorious and powerful and majestic and his coming is glorious and the angels are glorious. The whole thing is lit up. There's power he comes with no fear in his eyes. He comes with a, a flame of fire coming from his eyes and a sword from his mouth and he speaks and everyone is laid waste. That's what we wait for. Be patient until that. Isn't that worth waiting for? Amen. Eh, you're beginning to warm up a little. <laughs> Be patient means wait. Don't run ahead of the Lord and try to fix things. My, how we try to do that. Stick with the plan. Stick with the program. Wait. That means we hope. The hope is not a wish. The hope is a certainty that we anticipate, that we taste. It's coming. We hope for future days because we've been promised future days because the one who promised it already fulfilled other promises, and we know his word is true. Thomas Lee has this quote. We must not allow events to dull our hope in Jesus' return. We must not reduce... Our hope for Jesus' return to something like the transformation of society by Christian values. How weak. How pathetic. Yay, we won a court case. Yay, we we won this law, got passed by Congress. That's so pathetic. It's so weak. does nothing. Are you kidding how it's going to be changed when Christ comes back? Why would we hope any other... Are you waiting for a a better political party? Really? That's where your hope is? That's what gets you angry? Are you waiting for a utopian society? You know, the political left tries to attain their utopian society through big government. The more government is involved, the better it can be. Basically, government replaces God because there's no God in their theology at all. They have completely pushed God out of the picture. It's a Christless, godless movement the political left in America today. It's terrible. They plunge headlong into a godless society. They push it on the rest of us. Everything Christian they're trying to eliminate. They hate Christ. They hate Christianity. They make it clear in their words. And the right tries to reduce the decay of the left. And they're always unsuccessful. Why? Because there's no power in their movement. There's no regeneration. They're trying to do it without Christ. They're both Destined to lose, the Christian waits for the coming of Jesus, like Abraham. In his day, he's in the promised land. He didn't own any of it, by the way. Do you know that? He didn't own any of it. Abraham, yeah, until he bought a little, a little thing for his wife's grave. That was it. <laughs> That's all he owned. And it says of Abraham, well, what was he doing? It says in Hebrews, he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is not the Republican Party, is God. The righteous poor are not to wait to get free handouts from the government. That's not their hope. Their hope is the coming of Jesus Christ in the clouds with great power. To bring what? To bring the kingdom of God from heaven down to earth. Isn't that what the Lord Jesus told us to pray in the Lord's Prayer? Thy kingdom what? Come. Come. See? That's correct politics. Only when Christ comes, only when he's physically here, will things become reversed, and using government to reverse things is wrong. You have to have firm hope and resolve that our hope, the hope of this church and any church, is not any government in the world. It's Jesus Christ. Suffer now with a confident, bright, eerie kind of enthusiasm about the future. How can you be all smiling, Mr. Christian? Because I know it's coming. Yeah, but you lost all your power in America. Never had it anyways. They were lying to us all along. No one is going to have it better in the future than you. Now, if we believed in biblical dancing, this would be the point to stand up and start doing it. This is called eschatological motivation for endurance. Patience. Patience is not just a virtue. It is a strategy for life. You live between the two comings of Jesus Christ. This is your calling, endurance, patience. No, it's not an easy path, but it is the logical path. It is based on the present evils of this world that cannot be changed through political action, feeding the poor, starting more hospitals and schools won't change that. They have their place, but they won't change that. And the future, which belongs to one man and anyone else to whom that man wants to give it, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will not share his glory with another. The future does not belong to the Muslims. The future does not belong to the age of Aquarius. The future does not belong to the pluralists. They're going to lose it all. They're on the losing side and they don't even know it. And that's why we endure. I don't need to respond with frustration and anger. Jesus Christ still sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and is still coming when the Father says, which not even he knows, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. Man, can you imagine how he says that? Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Anything we do to evil people now be kind of like a mosquito bite. Romans 12, 19. God will bring his own vengeance against oppressors. I don't need to respond with confusion and weakness either. I can wait. I can hope. I can be patient. I, by the grace of God, can endure. And so can you. That is the Christian's hope, and that hope is powerful. Now to illustrate the importance or the logic of patience waiting for the Lord, he brings up the illustration of the farmer. Do you see that? The farmer, the georgos, the one working the land. It could be someone working in the vineyards, someone planting a vegetable garden, big harvest. The farmer, what does the farmer do? He values and counts as precious the product of his soil. Why? Because if he doesn't get the product of the soil, he starves to death. So it's very important to him. He lives his life because of the product of the soil. And so he waits for the early and the late rains. Do you see that? By the way, that's further evidence that the writer of the uh, letter of James lived in Palestine, lived in Israel, for the climate in Israel is really behind this illustration. This description wouldn't mean as much to someone not living in Palestine, but it'd mean a lot to a Palestinian farmer we know farming is in his mind, and we know they lived in an agrarian society. We see that even in verses 1 through 6. Israel got earlier and late rains. The earlier rains came in October and November. The later rains in April and May. Both rainy seasons were important, and they were both needed for a healthy crop. The early one for softening up the soil, planting the seeds, giving some groundwater for growth, and the later rains for the robust harvest. But here is the point. The farmer knew... There had to be an interval between planting and harvest. And there was a lot of waiting between planting and harvest. There was a lot of work at the planting. There was a lot of work at the harvest. There was a lot of waiting for the rain in between. Farmers had to be patient. They had to wait for both rains. They could not control the rains. They could not speed up the clouds. Rain dances were impotent and were taboo anyway. God was in control of the climate. By the way, he still is in control of the climate. The farmer had no choice but to plant and then what? Wait. That's it. But what he waited for was good. What he waited for he knew was going to come. What he waited for he believed was going to happen. To get angry and frustrated and bite the nails, give up on the crops until, until the rain finally comes, that would be foolish. That would be so unwise. It may have seemed at times, oh, the rains will never come. Oh my, what will I do? But invariably, they would come. The right rain came at the right time. In between, there was much time. Folks, there was nothing they could do about it. Now, I don't think it's coincidental that James mentions the early and the late rains here. And he mentions them in conjunction with the coming of the Lord, which is promised in the faithfulness of God because in the Old Testament, the early and late rains often were used as a physical example to prove the faithfulness of God to his own people. Let me give you a couple of examples. In Hosea chapter 6 and verse 3, it says, So let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn, you see. And he will come. He will come to us like the rain. Now, some of you are sick of rain by this point in time, but he will come to us like the rain, the spring rain watering the earth. Or Joel chapter 2, verse 23. So rejoice, O sons of Zion, and be glad in the Lord your God, for he has given you the early rain for your vindication, and he has poured down for you the rain, the early and latter rain as before. God is faithful. He keeps his promises. The rain will come. Christ will come. Dr. Hebert says, the pious believer recognizes that the spiritual harvest that we anticipate also is dependent on the intervention of God in human affairs. It's going to come. God will intervene. Things will not go on, on and on the way they are. God is faithful. Jesus will break the clouds. He promised he would. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That's how the whole Bible ends. One more verse. Revelation 22, 20. By the way, this very principle of waiting on the reliance of God and the faithfulness of God to send the reins is embedded in the law of God and the old covenant to the Jews. In Deuteronomy 11, I'll read to you verses 13 through 17. It shall come about, if you listen obediently to my commandments, which I am commanding you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul, that He, that is the Lord, will give the rain for your land in its season, the early and late rain, that you may gather in your grain and your new wine and your oil. He will give grass in your fields for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied, Beware that your hearts are not deceived and that you do not turn away and serve other gods and worship them, or the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain, and the ground will not yield its fruit, and you will perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. That was their warning. Rain came because of God's faithfulness, and they needed to remain true to him. Well, after giving his example, James returns to his main exhortation. You, therefore, also, you too, be patient. How can I be patient? How can I endure? Because you know what's coming is better. When you know what's coming is better, you don't settle for less. You wait for the better stuff. Trying to create a utopia now through government and and all this political action is... It's foolishness. It completely misunderstands what the Christian message is about. When it's all going to be transformed by Jesus Christ, why do we settle for less? First John 3, beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared, not appeared, as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. Everyone who has this hope fixed on Christ purifies himself just as he is pure. 2 Corinthians 4.17, momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Romans 8.18, again, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed to us. Earlier in the letter, James said that we would receive the crown of life. Chapter 1, verse 12. We will be endowed with life and glory. But not yet. Not yet. Not now. Now, we need patience. And with patience, we're going to need the strengthening of our hearts. Do you see that? Not only patience, but along with patience, strengthening our own hearts. Strengthen is the verb stenazo. It means to fortify, to stiffen, to provide some kind of solid support. When Paul was using this word for what his apostolic ministry could do for a church, he talked about establishing the church, bring strength, bring something concrete to it. With that strength, then we're able to stay the course. We're able to keep to the path. We're able to keep fervent in what we're doing for the Lord. And what is it that needs to be strengthened? Uh, Here's where you really need to listen. What is it that needs to be strengthened? Your own hearts. Your own hearts. And we talk about things that need to be strengthened like uh, the church budget. You know, things that need to be strengthened like more workers in the nursery. The main thing that needs to be strengthened is your own heart. That's it. In other words, if you endure, you're not going to be faint of heart. Already in James, we've heard about the heart and how important the heart is. We were told back in chapter 1, verse 26, don't deceive your own heart by listening to the word of God, listening to sermons, and then not applying them. In chapter 4, verse 8, we were told it was our responsibility to purify our own heart. The heart is at the center of who we are. Now, we're told it is our responsibility to strengthen our own hearts. Do you ever feel weak? Do you ever feel wobbly about your commitments, about your goals, men? about the things that you've committed to do, about your faith, about your quiet time, about your commitment to prayer, about your resolve to do ministry? Do you ever get tired? Do you ever feel your tongue is languishing? Are you ever like that? You need to strengthen your hearts. The work is going to remain the same all the way until the grave, until the Lord comes. You need to strengthen your heart. How are we supposed to do that? What is strengthening the heart involved? Well, mostly from the context, it is to deepen your confidence in the second coming of Christ. You need to know for sure Christ is coming and it's worth it. That's why I open by asking you, is it worth it to you? When you think about the second coming of Christ and you think about what you will be rewarded with, are you really believing that? Do you really see that? Can you really taste that? Because then it's worth it to you. The world's not going to help you with that. The world's not going to help you. You know, uh, hey, you Christians ought to be excited soon. uh, Jesus is going to come back, and you're going to get a great reward. Do you think anyone like that is doing that for you? Does talk radio do that for you? Does CNN do that for you? Does your, your college course do that for you?
0: Are you the type of person that needs a game plan? James provided one exactly for you as we learned today from Pastor Tom. Of course life's a roller coaster. When those difficult times come, when you have trouble with the why part of it all, remember, Jesus will come again. Be understanding of that and keep marching on like the disciples who weighed the cost and knew it was worth it.
1: With sad, yet hope-filled hearts, we want to let you know that Pastor Tom Leek, the voice you've been listening to today, has gone home to be with Jesus. Pastor Tom served the Lord faithfully here on earth for 24 years, pastoring thousands and helping to create a network of like-minded churches in the Mid-Atlantic region. He shared the gospel unashamedly, shining light into this dark world. Pastor Tom
0: will be missed, but we rejoice that he is healed and with his Savior. If you would like to learn more about Pastor Tom and his legacy, visit HopeBible.org.
1: Now, here's a preview of the next edition of Discover Hope.
0: Not only is it important to trust God and wait to see what he'll do, but it's also necessary. It strengthens your soul. This spiritual muscle holds your faith, convictions, feelings. When you grow close to God, it's harder for the world to sneak in and make you believe Jesus isn't coming again. Tune in next time to hear Pastor Tom relate the rain as being the faithfulness of God and as a strong heart being the garden that grows confidence. To listen again to today's message in the book of James, visit HopeBibleChurch.org and look under the Sermons tab. Pastor Tom will return soon with another in-depth study of God's Word, so join us again right here on Discover Hope.